0: Hey everybody, it's Connor from the HooperCast. I'm solo this week for the 177th episode iteration of our show. Dustin's doing stuff and I wasn't doing as much stuff. So here I am doing this stuff alone, baby, alone. What I'm also going to do alone... Let's talk about Letterboxd. Right now, listeners of our show have the chance to win a free one-year pro account upgrade on Letterboxd. For those of you who don't know, Letterboxd is a social network for film lovers that allows you to track, rate, and review the films you watch. You can follow other members to get recommendations. You can publish lists of films like your top 10 for the year and a lot more. Like I said, you can follow us on Letterboxd. People like us pretty cool. Check that out. You can follow HooperCast on Letterboxd and we make our own list, dude. Okay. For instance, we have, um, our, we basically have the show, what we call the HooperCast show docket where here's all the movies we just watched that were, um, that we, um, might be talking about on the show on a given night coming up soon. Everything that's on deck to speak about is on Letterboxd in, uh, in, in, on a list. All the HooperCast Docket. There's also my um, list of films I wanted to see ever since uh, in, um, since 2012 that I never got around to seeing. And then there's a list of films I'm revisiting because I wanted to give them a second opinion. Um, so we like to make lists, and um, you can make so many lists on Letterboxd. Letterboxd is free to use. There's no subscription fee, but a pro account is going to get you additional features such as a such as a customized such as a customized summary of your past year's viewing if you're into that kind of crazy stuff. If you already have a pro account, then you get your year extension full free sign. Yeah, well. If you want to enter, all you have to do is listen to our show like you're doing right now. Please don't go away, and we will read the code word at random. The code word is somewhere in this episode right now, and as the month goes on, I'll probably be more obvious about it. But right now, it's the first weekend in September, and I'm not going to tell you shit. I'm not telling you shit right now, okay? I'm not going to tell you jack shit, all right? All right. Somewhere in the episode is the code word or phrase. What you're going to do is send us an email at hoopercast at gmail.com. H-O-O-P-E-R-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Enter that code word in the subject line and make sure to include your Letterboxd username in the email so that we know which account to reward, okay? We're going to select each winner during the last show of each month. You can also follow our show on Letterboxd, Um And uh, yeah, if you're wondering why you need to give us your Letterboxd username, for one, we're not asking for your password, just your username. Don't send us your login info. Just send us your username. The reason is, if you don't have a Letterboxd account, why in hell are you trying to get a one-year account free? If you're gonna, you know, take advantage of the offer, and you've never used Letterboxd before, at least sign up for an account. I mean, we have one. It's free. What's your problem with free shit, dude? You have a problem? Like, is there a problem with the free stuff that we want to give you? Okay. Letterboxd.com. L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D.com. Letterboxd.com. Enjoy the episode tonight and have a great weekend. Have a good life and um, look out behind you. And we are live it's the hooper cast hey buddy hey buddy <laughs> hey everybody hey buddy um it's connor i'm uh here tonight solo doing the Hoopercast, cast number 177 on facebook live so i just thought i'd pop in say hi tonight and do the show by myself for as long as i could <clears throat> because dustin has got some crazy stuff happening and um So I'm just going to get a few thoughts out tonight, and uh, when I run out of gas, uh, that is where you'll see me disappear. Um, If you're watching this on Facebook Live, we do this show every week on Facebook Live. We finish it off live, and then we put the whole thing on our YouTube channel. And so uh, it's called the HooperCast, or just HooperCast, even though we call it the HooperCast, or the HooperCast Movie Hour, HooperCast Live Movie Hour. We call it so many things, but the channel is called HooperCast, and um, you can find our show on YouTube, and that's what the page looks like. We've done 176 of these things, 177 by the time you're watching this, um, which is, I think, pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, we do a lot of in-depth film analysis, discussion, film news, talking about, and um, all kinds of stuff like that. So um, if you're not into watching this show or you're watching it and you're like, oh, the thing's a little bit out of sync or the frame rate's all off if you're going to be a snob about it, that's cool. You can use your ears and go to iTunes where we have the show out as a podcast, just audio, um, same episodes. And actually you get the quick pick too, which is a weekly box office analysis um, every single week, which is pretty awesome as well if I do say so myself. So yeah, that's pretty, pretty, pretty exciting. Tonight I want to talk about a few things. Um, This is about as unstructured as it gets. Um, I'm just going to go until I can't any mo. Um, One of the things I wanted to talk about tonight was this article on the Hollywood Reporter. Um, This is really more of a discussion type piece um, for Dustin. But of course, now that I've talked now that I've said something, I need to uh, keep going. Um, I don't have the page pulled up. I'm not going to read the whole article because you should just go read the article if you're interested in it. Um, But the article is on The Hollywood Reporter. Um, This was on Monday. And it says, Spike Lee, David Cronenberg, debate future of cinema and how Netflix tracks bathroom breaks. So David Cronenberg and Spike Lee were at uh, the Venice Film Festival and they were doing a panel and David Cronenberg talked about maybe doing a possible TV series. Um, this uh, there's a costume designer named Sandy Powell who is talking about um, the technology behind the the film The Irishman, uh, regarding de aging technology, um, uh, playing into you know the costume design. And um, David Cronenberg and Spike Lee basically talked about um, you know what it's sort of like. Uh, to be a director in 2018 with Netflix in the mix. Um, it's a very different theater experience um, and in a very different way we consume stories and movies and, and visual storytelling from when these two directors first got into film. Um, Spike Lee's talking about having teaching um, grad students at NYU who haven't seen, it says, haven't seen films like Apocalypse Now, 2001, A Space Odyssey, Rashomon, or Lawrence of Arabia. Or if they have, they've watched them on their phones. Excuse me. Um, Cronenberg thought it was kind of cool that um, people might be watching Lawrence of Arabia on an Apple Watch and that it's going to beam the sound right into their hearing aids via Bluetooth. Um, but they basically talk about it's an art form that's that's gone. The idea that there is no communal experience, or that, or that, the idea that people are going to have this big shared experience in the theater by watching a movie all at the same time in the same place, that that is going away. Um, but that they sort of both admitted that, or maybe it was Cronenberg who admitted that. The, the idea that that what we're seeing now, especially with streaming and the decline of theaters is you've got <clears throat> people who are able to enjoy films as a solitary experience, which has certainly been my experience. Um, I, I, I won't speak for Dustin, but I'll say of the two of us, I think Dustin gets more out of the theater experience than I do. Um, there are a lot of people who, who really enjoy going to the theater still. And I understand that. Um, but, what I, uh, on top of me just being cheap and not feeling like, I mean, this movie cost $13 and then in two months it's going to cost $13 for me to buy and I can watch it as many times as I want. Or I can pay 75 cents and rent it at the library four months later or rent it for <clears throat> for three or four dollars um, on iTunes or even less on Redbox. Um, so to me, it's like, well, I'm patient enough to out, to, to outlast the movie being in, in theaters like I'm okay with not seeing a film in theaters because the theater experience doesn't mean so much to me that it's going to make a difference, you know, in as much as five or $8. But for some people, that theater experience is crucial to, to seeing a film the way it's meant to be seen with the speakers and the large screen and 4K projection and, you know, maybe a D box, maybe a, maybe a, a, a vibrating seat, um, and and a large audience, so all those technical, you know, accoutrements, those are interesting, and those are those can be fun. But this is where I sort of get real preachy about the power of cinema and the power of storytelling. Um, the movie I've seen plenty of movies that I thought were amazing when I saw them in theaters, and then I watched them again later, and I was like, this is not nearly as good as I remember. And it's really just because I was sort of just taken in by the theater experience. But to me, the what what's the quality of a film isn't determined by how much fun was us to watch in theaters with a group of people who are reacting to every single shot, um, or every single joke, every single um, moment of tension. The quality of movies to me is their staying power how you can watch them again and again and they either take on a different context and identity or they, or they remain ever relevant. A film like network, which is still one of the most relevant films in cinema history because it predicted our obsession with reality TV and ratings at the expense of people's lives. Um, which I have to thank my dad for, for network for showing me that movie, because that's one of the most, that's one of those films that that really stuck with me. Um, and should stick with anyone who's who who sees it i didn't see that in theaters and it's, it's i don't even think it's a film that plays the best in theaters but my point is that a film to me is best when it can be watched repeatedly over over the course of years or decades and and it's just as good because the story is what matters it's not the quality of the sound the the resolution of it um the seats, the popcorn, the crowd, I want to be able, I was pre, I was preconditioned to consume movies via streaming or on my phone because I watched most movies growing up. I watched on one of those little like desktop DVD players, um, portable DVD players. And um, it didn't really matter to me that I wasn't watching them on even like a, a, a small television I just liked watching movies. My love of movies superseded technology, the the technology required to, to view them. So I understand Spike Lee's point in that it can be a big communal experience where you experience something with a bunch of people and it's fun, but I'm more with David Cronenberg where it's like, well, um, that's fun and everything, but I don't, I feel like the real thing to me is how I do view it by myself because that's how I'm going to view it. Probably. Um, every other time I watch it until I don't want, you know, until I'm dead. Like it'll always be just me by myself or maybe me with a different person, you know? Um, I'm, I'm kind of getting away from the point, but I, I just, I think it's fascinating to look at the way we, we consume stories, um, being really directly affected by things like Netflix and streaming. Um, it's a big deal, but it, it's kind of cool because it, it, it sort of has forced storytellers to change their approach. Um, and and it's fun that some directors find it to be freeing and some find it to be sort of like oh it's the death of cinema and i think if you're thinking oh like streaming's the death of cinema i think you're going to get left behind because what we're seeing is this form of of media consumption it's not going anywhere it's growing it's going to keep growing and if you're sitting around crying about the theaters as fun as they are for some people, we talk about it on this show all the time, they are going to go away or they're going to be forced to evolve and become an entirely different experience that that offers a lot more. Um, But I'm not sure how that's going to sustain itself. and, and, And we've talked ad nauseum about it. Well, I think what's interesting is that, for me like i said i can watch movies again and again on my own and i can get more and more from them the prime example for me personally is is the marvel movies it's it's no secret that i love the marvel movies and that i've you know i've loved them for 10 years um i've been rewatching i've always every time there's a big event one that's coming up like the next avengers movie or captain america civil war or now infinity war for me it was like oh i need to i sort of want to rewatch like the key films leading up to this movie just to sort of reorient myself in, in the canon of this story. Um, and so, and now I'm doing that in a very slow, but really satisfying way where I've rewatched the films enough times to where I wouldn't just go back and watch any one of them. Um, like in, I wouldn't go, we'll go back and watch all of them in sequence ever again, unless it's with a person. And so I've been rewatching them with my mom. Like, we just watched uh, Iron Man 3, I think, a couple of weeks ago, and we're, we're supposed to watch Thor The Dark World at the end of the month, um, much to my chagrin, I guess, and I uh, hope she likes it, so it's an enjoyable film, I guess. Um, anyways... Uh, I really get a lot out of that experience because these are films I've seen again and again. And I've sort of been like, okay, I know every shot of this film. I know every little nook and cranny of this story. And, but I'm watching it with someone who's never seen it before and who's completely floored by this um, shared universe concept in movies, for example, and, um, and the seriousness and the the care that's taken with these comic book characters and how, how, how well, how well the films are made. And I get a lot out of that experience, just seeing someone seeing it through through someone's eyes, like like hers. That's completely fresh to them. You know, you you sort of forget like how amazing this 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 thing can be um, until you're with someone who's never seen it before. So I enjoy that communal experience, but that's one that's on my terms, and it's free, and it's um, you know my food and my alcohol is in the house. or my V eight original one hundred percent vegetable juice, um, but uh, I think I think the point of the article really is is that um, technology like this is going to keep pushing us forward. It's a really cool article. It's a it's just a sort of highlights from their their panel sort of strung together into an article. So it's not like a you know mind blowing um, a mind blowing um, piece of journalism, but. Um, Let's see. Um, there's another excerpt I wanted to read from here. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, maybe it was about Netflix's algorithm. I can't remember what it was. I'm um, uh, oh, sorry. Oh, um, I think this was Spike Lee. Spike Lee said, Netflix is a friend of young filmmakers. These people need product. And that Netflix spent $8 billion this year only for film and series. And the fact that streaming has sort of opened up and the competition surrounding streaming and original content on these services that you've got a lot more people able to make content and to make their dream projects because because net you know you could say like oh they don't really care the quality of the stuff that they're getting but they, they do but for more than anything they, they need to it's sort of it's in a way it's kind of like 24-hour news you suddenly open up and go okay here's all these time slots that we need to fill and we want to fill them with, with original stuff. So let's get some content and we do no matter what we need to fill this time. And then the idea I guess would be as soon as we fill this time, then we'll start, then we'll start um, deciding uh, whose time we want filled more. And we'll just, we'll make each hour better until we have 24 amazing hours of content. And that's kind of how Netflix is doing it, I guess is just, let's just, we need we, uh, we we want some we want some product we want some content and then we'll we'll start worrying about quality later but the good thing is quality is not their problem on Netflix they've got plenty of great shows um so um but a, a service like Netflix really attracts people like David Cronenberg because whereas directors like him aren't interested in being a director for hire you've got David Cronenberg saying that, um, but he, it would really make him interested in creating a series and being involved in it. Um, from that sense, there's downsides to Netflix um, for for creators. You know, there's um, typically you don't see you don't get royal, royalties or any back end money for being involved in a, in a show on on Netflix. Whereas you might be able to negotiate that um, for like a network. But so it really does force actors and creators to to really get as much as they can up front, um, money wise, because once this, once the series is done, they're not really going to see a penny from it. So I don't know. That's neither here nor there to me. That's, <clears throat> that's, op- that's, that's outside of the creative process, but it is something that creators have to consider when they're going to get in bed with people like Netflix. So there, there clearly are some drawbacks, but I think it's overall a good thing and a positive thing for storytelling. Um, why am I telling you all this? Um, I saw the article and I just thought it was interesting to hear um, you know, a couple of legendary filmmakers, prolific filmmakers uh, talking about what they think of streaming. Um, And it's it's weird because I I always expect these big directors to be resistant to it, um, to to go, Oh, this it's, well, it's, it's for kids and it's for, you know, it's, it's not for serious filmmakers, but, but no, they're, they're going, you know, it's, it's a tool and we ought to um, use it in a responsible and creative way. So um that's at the hollywoodreporter.com that's the um the article is called Spike Lee, David Cronenberg debate future of cinema. Um interesting stuff, I thought at least. So um yeah. Uh what else do I want to talk about tonight? Um I'll tell you this, I got a couple of movies I wanted to speak about. Um Oh. No. Nope, get away. Um, that I don't really have a lot of pictures for. Um, I'll tell you this. My my main recommendation tonight, um, before I get off the stream, we'll talk about this film. How about this? Um, let's talk about The Great Alone. So as she is apt to do, my wife recommended this film to me. But I won't give her full credit. She didn't really recommend it to me. She had not seen it either. We were watching uh speaking of Netflix, we were we were watching um White Fang. Netflix has a um has a uh a White Fang animated, you know, film adaptation uh that's theirs. So I was watching that with my kids and my son. Um so at some point my wife kinda walked in the room and was just watching it and and said, Oh, um Oh, is this have anything to do with the Iditarod? Cause she saw the the dogs and the sleds and everything. I was like, no, it's just white Fang. Um, <clears throat> and I was just, and I think I'd mentioned like, I don't actually know what the Iditarod is. I hear it all. I've heard it, that word that, that, that name for years. I don't know what the Iditarod is. Um, and so like often happens in my house, my wife, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a shitty Mad Lib. It's like, you don't know what blankety blank is. And I go, no, no one ever taught me what blankety blank was. And she goes, Oh, I can't believe you don't know what blankety blank is. And I go, Nope. Once again, I've been gone, I've gone through life just fine without knowing what blankety blank is. She Googles blankety blank, explains it to me. And I go, Whoa, that's incredible. I wish I had known that my, most of my life, I feel like I'd be happier. (laughs) Um, so the Iditarod was a mild form of one of those things. Um, if you don't know what the Iditarod is, just like I did, in which case email me and make me feel less alone. Speaking of the great alone, um, so the the Iditarod is this race across um a portion of Alaska every year where you're you're pulled by sled dogs. You mush the whole way. It's like a thou. Fa- oh, excuse me. I'm sorry, guys. I think it's like a thousand miles. Um, I should have <laughs> pulled up this information. Um, but uh, it's a, it's it takes about eight or nine days for most people to complete this thing, the people who actually do finish the race. So you're just sledding out there in the freezing cold, and you're feeding yourself, feeding your dogs, fishing, you know, but you can, you know, staying in these villages along the way, these checkpoints, and you can eat then, and people, you know, it, you know, yeah there's like signs waiting for like, we love Jeff or whoever. And it's in a weird, it's kind of like the hunger games in that way. There's, there's, there's always cameras. There's always local news media. Tara and I both have, have worked in local news before. So for us, it was like, can you imagine just being a new reporter in, you know, in Nome, Alaska and every year, like, you know, down here in newsrooms down here, for instance, like, you know, it's, it's Wednesday night. We just had a tropical storm. Gordon just came through mobile, um, Early this morning, late last night, and so if you work in local news, it's just all about having a meeting, going, okay, we have a red team and a blue team, and we're gonna, um, we need to, we're gonna cover the storm. This reporter is gonna be in this city. This reporter is gonna be over here in this county talking about the floods. This one's gonna be talking about the storm surge, blah, blah blah, and um, and so I imagine if you're in Nome, Alaska, then you every year your local news has a meeting, like, okay, who's who's gonna be in, who's gonna be in in Anchorage, at, you know, for the start of the race, who's going to be a gnome for the end? Who are we going to put in this middle city at the at the midpoint to cover it, you know? And I can just imagine sitting in a control room, tuning in live shots, and just just every year going like, okay, like, you know, in Mobile, every year, it's, it's storm coverage, it's Mardi Gras, it's you know um, the Alabama Deep Sea Fishing Rodeo. Uh, there's always an event that you that every city covers in, to some extent. That every city has their thing. I'm sure Boston has the Boston Marathon, and um, and and so in Alaska they have the Iditarod, but it's a weekend change of of coverage, um, which is pretty insane to be out there in the elements like that. One of the takeaways from this documentary that I found is that Alaska has some tough people some real tough sons of bitches out there in Alaska um, just being awesome and uh, and and making us all feel inadequate. The subject of this documentary is, um, oh God, what's his name? Uh, Lance Mackey. Um, and I remember his name off the top of my head because his dad's name is Dick Mackey, which is almost Vic Mackey, which is The Shield. Um, but The Great Alone, I'll go ahead and tell you the star rating. I've been bumbling enough about it. Star rating for me, this is a three and a half star documentary, okay? Um, it's a really cool look at this race that I, I knew nothing about. Um, Lance Mackey's dad, Dick, I think was one of the founders of the Iditarod and the, which it was started in back in 1973. And in 1978, his sixth attempt at the, at the Iditarod, Dick Mackey won the race. He won it by like a few steps. He beat some dude basically right the finish, um, which is pretty cool. And, you know, so of course, like, you know, 30 odd years later, 40 years later, his son Lance is competes in the Iditarod. Um, it's a really, I mean, I I was, I came just to to witness like, oh, this is, this is just a race I've, I've never seen an event I've never witnessed before. So a documentary is always kind of cool just to, just see a slice of life you've never you know, seen before, but what it also did was a really good gradual unfolding story with Lance. Um, it, it documents it, it, he talks about his parents divorce and how that sort of led him, um, down a path, um, with substance abuse and, uh, and then the racing when it began and then a couple other, you know, bumps in the road I don't want to give away. Um, uh, and you know, but his relationship with his dad and what racing and and, and winning and all this stuff meant to him. Um, this this was a tearjerker. I'll tell you that I did not expect that in this. But there's a a very very powerful um, you know r- probably five or ten minutes right. In, you know r- r- I don't know I don't know when it is structurally, but it's it's really a great uh, a great some great moments in here um, for this, for, for Lance. Um, I, I guess if I were to nitpick about it, like, why didn't I, you know, why didn't I give it a higher rating? Part of me wanted like more step-by-step explanations that they did, Rod. Like, oh, what, what exactly are the rules? Um, you know, cause it's one of those races where you, you, you know you're you, they basically time you while you're racing so you can stay and sleep in these checkpoints as long as you as, as long as you think you want to but most people stop and stay the night because you need the rest you need the endurance um so it's just one of those odd things where you just go oh these two guys racing against each other just sitting at a table eating lunch and talking and i think like i just think like why don't you just get going and 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 keep competing get ahead of them but I've never been to Alaska and I've never raced the Iditarod. So I would think that you don't want to do that or you'll pass out or die, you know? Um, So just a a little bit more that would make me feel like I understood the Iditarod itself. But I also can see that that's not really the point and it would have really killed the narrative momentum uh, of this story um, because at the end of the day, it really is about Lance and the Iditarod is just the setting um, and, and, and a little slice of the context of the story. Um, so, uh, yeah, The Great Alone, I think is a, is a a three and a half star film. Um, I watched this on Netflix, so you can go check it out right now. Um, so once again, my wife has a flawless record, um, recommending things that we, uh, watch except the emoji movie. My God, she was wrong about that. Woo. Yikes. I'm going to get off the live stream. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's see. There it goes again. Goodness gracious. I'm going to get off the live stream. So uh I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna split. Um by the way, uh, nobody watching the live stream right now would know what this necessarily means. Um, but uh the letterboxed code word for September is simply uh what's the thing? Um that's okay. Like Dr. Phil says, that's okay. That's okay, everybody. That's okay is the uh, is the code word for Letterbox. If you want to, if you are very confused right now, go to the um, front of the show and listen to the pre roll about Letterboxd and uh, all the cool stuff they do. But for now, we are going to get off of the uh, of the live stream. Okay. So, um, thanks for. Oh, where's the links? Where's the slides? There it is. Um, yep. Watch the rest of the show on YouTube or on iTunes. Um, but definitely watch it. Cause that's what most people, That's kind of the, the idea. So um, anyways, um, I'll see you guys next week on Facebook live. So uh, good night for now and um, catch the rest of the show on Friday. See ya. Just another quick documentary. I want to recommend to people. Um, this is, I don't nearly have as much to say about this in terms of story, because there's not a story. It's not really that kind of a, a documentary, but there was a, um, a PBS slash BBC uh, three-part uh, docu-series called City in the Sky. I think it aired in 2016 or 2015. It's really cool. Um, it's uh, The f- first uh, episode's called Departure. This is also on Netflix. There's Departure, there's Airborne, and then there's Arrival. And it basically just goes behind the scenes on these three portions of air travel. And it is mind blowing. I loved it. I didn't write down a star rating for this, so I'm just gonna sort of wing this, this review. I'm gonna give this this docu series. I'm gonna give this up. I'm gonna give it a four. Let's just give it a four. Um, the reason it's not a five is because despite, even though it was it was really interesting, uh, you know, I was I was tired when I watched the second and third one, so I really. Didn't I kept falling asleep because after a while it's just okay facts 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 it was kind of cool but I guess because I was disconnected from any one person in it 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 it's kind of tough to stick with it sometimes so you might have to break this up into chunks or just not be tired like I was but um it's really interesting they have really good um cons- you know animation um and, and CG models in here to help illustrate the points they're making. But they show you um, the back baggage claim and how that's automated, and how it works, um, the people in charge of keeping that on track, and the fact that if if the thing gets derailed, if they can't fix it within like ten minutes, then it could delay hundreds of flights because of the chain reaction, or the baggage um, handling not being in sync. It just it, just how how fragile the whole system is, but at the same time, how ruthlessly efficient it is. Um, I just think that's really really cool. Um, yeah, I think it's great. Um, j- same with airborne and arrival. It just it, it handles aspects of flight that typically take place in one of those three um, uh, phases of of, uh, of your flight. So um, it will probably give you a tad bit of anxiety about uh, about flying, um, especially the airborne stuff. But it's super cool. So if you care at all about how how air travel really the nuts and bolts of how air travel is possible every single day on a large scale. Um, watch this series. It's really cool. Um, each episode is about 52, 55 minutes. Um, so it's, it, you can spend a whole evening watching this with your significant other. Um, or you can split it into three nights. Um, it's, it's, it's really cool. I loved sitting in the sky. So, excuse me. Hmm. Um, I'm tired right now. Yeah. I'd recommend four stars for for city in the sky. That's also on Netflix. Uh, so you can check it out over there for free, basically for almost free. Um, yeah, it's pretty sweet. Okay. Let's talk about something that's not a documentary. I want to talk tonight since we're talking about the future of film, I want to talk about a movie called hardcore Henry. Uh, this is not a new release. This, in fact, uh, came out a couple of years ago, I guess. Um, and I rented this at the library. Hardcore Henry um, stars, really only recognizable person in here. To me, oh, my God, I'm so sorry about the yawning, was Charlto Copley right there on the screen, um, who you would recognize from District 9, from the A-Team, um, a lot of stuff by now. Um the gimmick of Hardcore Henry, I've included a couple of behind-the-scenes photos here just to show you the gimmick of Hardcore Henry, um, which is that the film is all from a first-person perspective. Um, Henry is a cyborg, and um, so you, you experience the whole film like a first-person shooter uh, pretty, pretty literally. Um, this is a three-and-a-half star as well. Um, I think in terms of story, this plot was either overcomplicated or overly simple. It does that thing where it's like, there's just a whole bunch of exposition here and there. Um, but they try and do it real quickly to make it sound natural. Um, but what it ends up doing is just, you don't really catch all of it. So you're really, I was at least really disconnected from the plot, uh, from basically to me, the the movie was Henry's a cyborg and they took his wife and, um, he's trying to fight to save her but he's also f- fighting these thugs from this mega pharmaceutical corporation or something um something 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 exposition something something um so to me it was just i'm just watching a guy um you know essentially fight for survival um and fight for uh fight for his his love um he's you know the the, the pawn of a paramilitary entity takes down the whole organization type of thing um, but what what is really cool about this movie and why I think it's a three and a half star and why it's pretty much worth seeing um, is really from the technical aspect this is like I said it's it's an entirely first-person perspective narrative action film it's really thrilling to see st- sequences like you're looking at on screen where he's he's on the top of a moving vehicle and he's shooting bullets at all this stuff you know and the in these obviously as you can as you can imagine there's not a lot of visible cuts in this film a lot of this is just l- long continuous shots so you you find yourself maybe looking for the cut points and wondering how they did all a lot of this stuff in camera there's a shot there of of, of henry when he's in the, in you know in the tank and you just they just have this camera essentially rigged to the front of this actor's face And, um, and as for Shalto Copley, who plays several characters in the film, because he, um, a lot of these characters are, are avatars that he made for himself. So you see Shalto Copley get to play with a lot of different personalities and characters in here, but I imagine also like a lot of times they enter and exit screen one after the other. So I always wonder like, oh man, he obviously couldn't change clothes that fast. So, so I wonder when they did the cuts on this, um, it's a, it's a real interesting experiment in, in a way to tell a story. You might get a little nauseous during some of these. Um, there's one or two times where I was like, okay, for God's sake, like, it's a little too shaky for me. Um, but for the most part, it's kind of cool because you are Henry. Um, you get to see the, see this action and this story. Oh my God. Mm. Literally through his eyes. I think that's pretty interesting. Um, I don't know if you could do any movie like this. There's probably a lot of films you couldn't shoot this way, but this was pretty interesting because Henry can't even speak, um, and so it's 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 kind of a, it's it's just kind of cool. It's just cool. It's just a fun concept. I don't know what else to say. It's just a fun, just beating around the bush here. It's a fun concept. I'm not sure if it's if it's you know just to speak of the of the Cronenberg Spike Lee article. Is this the future of cinema? Um, no, but I don't think this will be the last film told from told in this way. I just don't know. Like I said, the 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 types of films you can tell the types of stories you can tell with this uh, filmmaking technique are probably pretty narrow. And, and a lot of the, a lot of the plot and and character of this film really could be served well by, by telling the story this way. Um, So it's just a fun, different way to consume a story. So I think it's worth checking out. I got this at the library, like I said. Um, So you can do the same and um, it's really up to you uh, (laughs) what you want to do. Um all right, let me get rid of the slides for hardcore Henry real quick. There we go. Um let's talk about let's clean the attic a little bit. Here's a film I'm revisiting. So as I said, there's films that I either probably have previously talked about on this show or at least previously previously seen and had an opinion on that may or may not have changed. Um, the next one in this series is The Master from 2012, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, starring Joaquin Phoenix and the late and very great Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, <clears throat> this film stars Joaquin Phoenix, um, <clears throat> and I got I got this at the library. I don't, this wasn't available to rent anywhere. Um, no streaming service. No, you know, no, not easily accessible. Um, the first time I saw this film, I think I saw it on film at the Crescent theater in mobile. I remember at the Crescent, I was fighting to stay awake because the pace of this film is so slow. Um, don't be fooled by this picture of Philip Seymour Hoffman having a really good time, riding a motorcycle in the desert, a lot more of it is like that where you're just looking at Joaquin Phoenix, making a strange face and, and sort of squirming in his seat. Um, or or long wide shots that are that of are characters not doing much. Um, all right, this film is about Joaquin Phoenix stumbling upon I'm gonna go, which I'm, uh, a science fiction writer played by Hoffman, who it has started, um, who has essentially started this this pseudo religious movement with um, you know a good amount of followers and disciples, if you will, with his wife, his children, you know, in-laws, cousins, and um and and um it's kind of a a little bit pointing towards Scientology in that way. Um you know Philip Seymour Hoffman does kind of resemble L. Ron Hubbard a little bit, um, but it's really just about this this truly lost individual Freddie Quell played so well at Joaquin Phoenix and this, um, kind of egomaniacal, um, but genuinely well-meaning, I think, uh, I'm not sure. Um, uh, cult leader played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson is a great director. His frames, the way he, just the way that the way that his subjects look on film, um, are fantastic. There will be blood is this way. I like it for that reason. Um, He makes his actors look amazing on camera. Um, Just the shot design, the deep focus really, really, really distinguishing them from the background. He doesn't it's just not a bunch of flat angles. It's it's really uh well done cinematography and production design and um lighting and not to mention the performances. My god. Um <clears throat> the problem is in terms of uh it, here's the double-edged sword with with acting in, in Paul Thomas Anderson's films. As an actor, you really get to show a lot of the little things. Those little moments where you know, maybe other directors would just shoot it with a couple of close-up shots and cut around like the little minutiae of your performance, and just have you speak in the lines in character. <clears throat> Whereas this is a lot of is a lot of long takes, wide shots, long moving tracking shots, um, a lot of not looking at the person they're they're who that they're talking to, um, just a lot of maybe one character speaking and the other character. You know, it's an over-the-shoulder shot and where most directors might cut to the other actor to get a reaction, they might stay on the other actor to get just their performance. Um, And so it's a really interesting way of shooting a scene, which I kind of like. It's a lot more realistic in terms of the way people talk and behave at each other. And the way a conversation, you really feel like you're watching a conversation unfold in real time, which um, really keeps you invested in the scene. Um, the problem with that is that it makes pacing into an issue. Um, the film can really lose momentum fast. And I feel like this kind of happened with me with this movie. And like I said, this is the second time I've seen this. Um, so there were times where I sort of thought, okay, this is getting a little slow because they don't want to cut away from this wide shot. Um, because they like the performances, I guess. And it's a style that they want to, they don't want to cut away from the shot and be called a standard filmmaker. But You know, at least I would have been a little bit more invested in what was going on. Uh, This is a two-star film, and it really does kill me to say that. Um, And perhaps in the course of explaining it, I'll bump it up a little bit. But when I wrote this review originally, it's a two-star. This this film did piss me off. So it really was a one-star for a while. The only reason it gets two stars is for Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix. Um, their performances in this film are top notch. Um, every scene that they have together is remarkable. It's tremendous. Okay. There's a scene in particular where um, Philip Seymour Hoffman is, where he, there's a, the first big scene together is when he is evaluating Freddie Quell. He's evaluating Joaquin Phoenix. He's asking him all these questions about his life. And um and they go through this series of questions two or three times, and you see Freddie Quell sort of go from not taking it that seriously to like really, really being opened up against his will, um and f- sort of forced to go into his past and and um and and those his psychology, the why and how that he behaves. Um, he is a effed up dude. Uh, <laughs> he really is. He's a strange person. Um. And, uh, and, and the kind of person who would really need the direction that being involved in one of these movements could, could offer him. And so he's sort of the prime Guinea pig for someone like Hoffman, who is looking to prove to people that, that his, um, that his, uh, his, I don't want to say psychology and I'm not going to say treatments. It's not about doctor patient. It's his, um, life coaching, I guess you could say, um, works on people so whether he means well with this with this movement or not um he has the perfect guinea pig in joaquin phoenix um and uh so i i didn't really get a sense whether or not that he that that um that the whole thing was just BS and that he was just taking advantage of people or whether or not he really felt like he was doing something good for people. I, maybe the film is explicit about that. I just can't recall. And I, I, it didn't seem plain to me. It's more interesting to, to not know exactly his motivations, I think for starting this cult, I'm going to call it. Um, yeah, but the, so the performances are so good. And every time they're on screen together, I was like, Oh, okay. Like I, that, I would sort of wake up. The problem is the plot is so meandering and has no direction to the point that everything else about the film is boring and not engaging to me. Uh, it's well made. It's worthy of uh, uh, P.T. Anderson's talents. It's just not going to be worth it for most audiences. I just don't think most average people who want to see a good film are going to watch this film and be satisfied with it. Um there's no, in terms of narrative structure, there's, it's not very standard in terms of building towards something. So there's not like a sense of a ticking clock, like, Oh, I can tell where we are in the story. Um, so it's fun to see the characters kind of progress, but you'd have no clue. It's one of those where unless you check the time code, you have no idea when the movie is about to end. And I don't really like that. I sort of like knowing where I am in the story. Um, it just makes me feel nice and safe and loved, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I, I just don't recommend it to to, to, to most people to, to the general audience. It's going to be boring. It's going to be confusing. Um, and it's just going to be long and meandering. And you're gonna you're gonna be like, why did I? I don't even understand. What am I doing? Um, but to people who can really, and I feel like people who can really appreciate it as a movie have probably already seen it. This movie is several years old. Um. Uh, so yeah, I give the master a two star just because I just wouldn't want to watch it again at this point. Um, but I have to acknowledge the well, the well crafted, like this movie on a technical level is really well crafted and on an acting level, it's well crafted. It's just story, momentum, clarity, all that stuff is just not there. Um, and so I have to dock it points for that. I just, I just must, um, that's what they told me. I think we're gonna put the the show to bed at this point. I could have said there's a couple more things we can review, but I'm gonna I'm gonna hang on to those. Throat's killing me, <clears> throat> all this talking. So, uh, yeah. Once again, if you would love to uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel before you leave today. That would be tremendous. Um, go to uh, YouTube. Just go to HooperCast on YouTube. It's pretty easy to find. Um, and like I said, we're also on iTunes. So if you want to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, we are um, we are available. And uh, yes, it doesn't cost you anything. The show is free. Um, and, uh, and it's just, uh, we enjoy doing it. Um, it's really just for us, but if you want to be a fly on the wall, it's another reference. If you're paying attention to, the, to David Cronenberg, if you want to be a fly on the wall, uh-huh, um, you can be, and that's okay with us. We're not threatened by you. Um, it's fine. It's all right. Oh, that's letterbox, but we're not going to talk about Letterboxd right now because we already talked about it that's the show tonight you guys thanks for watching thanks for listening um thanks everybody who um who watched the live stream muchas gracias see y'all next week uh see you on monday for the quick pick and uh have a good weekend get out there see some good movies and we'll see you back here next week on the hooper cast have a